Well, how would you like to join us in this beautiful garden room in the suburbs of London, England, for book by book, as we start on the next in our series of studies on the book of Isaiah. I'm Richard Buse, joined here by Paul Blackham and by Alec Mateer, and what we're doing is chapters 34 to 40 of this wonderful prophecy. As we come to it, I think what I'm going to do is to start a little late. Let me start towards uh, in, in chapter 40, as we come to the great change around in some of the language of this prophecy. Chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that our hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice, a one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground should become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Oh, we're taking up this theme now of what we're calling it, the glory of the angel of the Lord. As we look at these chapters, I think what we should do is to first come to chapter 34, where we begin, where we have some very harsh and extreme descriptions in this chapter, Paul. How do we cope with them, do you think, would you think? Well, I know it's because, in a way, you just think it's too extreme. He's angry with all nations, verse 2. His wrath is on all their armies. He's going to totally destroy them. And there's dead bodies everywhere. And the st even the stars in the sky and the heavens are going to be rolled up like a scroll. Of course, actually, a lot of this language is picked up again in the New Testament. That thing about, like, the heavens rolled up like a scroll. You get that sort of um, in the New Testament, too. And it's because, uh, and in verse 5, my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens and all this sort of thing. It's because it's the great day of judgment being spoken of. This isn't just like one country invading another. He's talking really here about the end of all things when the judgment is on a cosmic level. It's like, it always reminds me in like Revelation 19 when the rider on the white horse oh, goes yeah. out and he has his sword and he goes to destroy all the armies that are opposed to him. It's just the same, isn't it? And it, it stretches from the top of creation down to the bottom. And you also have the way that these, these sort of birds that are going to come and, and they're sort of these... Um, they eat all the carrion and all that sort of thing. And you get that in Revelation 92. It's all this sense of that there's the whole order has got to come to an end. It's there in verse 8 that the, the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of retribution. And of course, you end up with this smoke going up night and day forever. It's taking us into that big day. And we're really reminded that we're dealing with a God of blood and fire. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And yet... As we look on, you see, in the next chapter, uh, verse, chapter 35, verses 3 and 4, here the believer is obviously encouraged not to give up. And that's so encouraging for, for the believer. Mm. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. So how big is Isaiah's view of salvation at this point, Alec? Well, world, worldwide, the two chapters belong together, do you see? We're, both are worldwide chapters. Um, 
Isaiah mentions Edom in, in chapter 34, 5 and 8, I think, 5 and 6. He mentions Edom, and that seems to be local. But Edom is used as a cipher. It is a picture of inveterate, ceaseless hostility to the Lord and his people. And it goes right back to Genesis, of course, but it, it, it became, by Isaiah's time, a way of talking about in the inveterate hostility between the world and the things of God. So it's part, therefore, of this universal view of judgment, but balancing that, you have the Exodus picture in 35, the Lord gathering his people, but as he gathers them, so the whole world around them is renewed, just as he led his people through the wilderness in Exodus time and provided for them. And Isaiah figuratively sees the desert blossoming as a rose, you know, as the people of God come through. And chapter 35, verse 8, and a highway will be oh, there. Yes. It will be called the way of holiness. And yeah, a highway clean. is actually what it means, a way raised above a level ground so that you can't miss it. And yeah. it will be the, for those who walk in that way, yeah. uh, the way of holiness. And even, even fools can't go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> which, is very, which I'm very comforted about. <laughs> oh, yeah. yes, it, yeah. Don't you love it? Right at the end, gladness and joy overtakes them. Sorrow and sighing flee away. Yes, yes. Obtain there means catch up with. Right. They shall at last catch up with joy and sorrow. We've been joy and gladness. Oh, that's been wonderful. We've been grasping at it all our lives and it's been slipping away. And we can, so there's, there's somebody who might be... Um, struggling at the moment yes they can catch up they, they, the they'll catch up with all the joy and we we'll look forward to that moment yeah. of course again yeah. and again and, and and look who they are verses 9 and 10 the redeemed and ransomed i mean that's mm. enough to bring tears to your eyes yes it is it is Rede Wonderful. redeemed that's that great word whereby the lord acts as our next of kin and comes to us and says i want to do the next of kin's duty for you all your trouble, all your problems, give them to me, they're mine. Mm -hmm. And the other word, the ransomed word, is paying the price. Yes. Paying the price word. Even if the context surrounding us is one of difficulty, harassment, vexation, you know, frustration. Chapter 36, Assyria, yet again. Yeah. Where we've even got uh, Sennacherib's. But the angel of the Lord is at hand. Yes. <laughs> But then we look at Sennacherib's written threat to King Hezekiah in Jerusalem, here in verse, what, 4 onwards. Yeah. Why do these threats so, so, sort of strike oh, so deeply at the Lord and his people, Paul? This field commander, Ra what's, his, what's that, Rabshakeh? Yeah. That's the title for this guy. Mm. He's a, I mean, he's a very bad guy, but you've got to admire his cleverness. He knows what he's doing. He's got his Hebrew, he's been to all his Hebrew lessons because he wants to speak in a language. He wants to make sure all the people hear him, all the ordinary people. And he's targeted this message so cleverly. You know, you cannot trust Egypt, he says in verses 4 to 7. And then he says, you can't trust in the Lord because you've pulled down all these high places and I know these gods. Once you do that, they won't, they're no use to you. Mm. Well, he's got that wrong. He's, been, he's, he's way off the mark on that one. But, mm. you know, he can't, you cannot trust Egypt. Egypt can't trust the Lord 
And he said, even if you had weaponry and, and military tanks and things, you've no one to drive them. You've no one to man the chariots and the horses. And then finally, he says, actually, the Lord's told us to come and destroy you. Well, the thing what's so brilliant about it, in a way, he's almost overheard some of Isaiah's prophecies. And he's like, actually, Isaiah says that the Lord's going to use Assyria. So I'll, let, I'll quote that bit. I'll have that. And in the, Isaiah said you shouldn't trust Egypt. I'll have that bit. So he takes all these and really cleverly weaves them all together. And you can imagine if you weren't, if you weren't really thinking clearly and you overheard all this... It'd shake you. So this is like this is not a trivial matter. This field commander is striking right at the heart of the people in Jerusalem, and you know this is serious. And particularly saying, "Don't trust in the Lord. You cannot trust in the Lord. That's a waste of time." And that he's really saying that. So what does King Hezekiah do? He prays. Yeah. Chapter thirty-seven. At last. Tore his clothes. <laughs> yes. Put on sackcloth. Went into the temple. So. Yes, at last, uh, Alec. But there's something for us to learn from Hezekiah's prayer, it seems, mm. and the Lord's word against Sennacherib. Uh, Hezekiah was a bit late in coming to it, but then we are. Mm. We don't always put prayer first. No. Mm. And instead of, instead of fleeing to the Lord, we, very often we, prepare to, we prefer to retire into a corner and grouse. Often in crises, people say, well, there's nothing we can do now but pray. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Or, uh, uh, I noticed one of our ladies in, in Westbourne and the church there didn't come to the Lord's table. And I said to her, why didn't you join us to the Lord? Oh, I felt too depressed. <laughs> you know, but that's the very time to seek the means of grace. And we don't. We're, mm. we're, we're, like, we're jolly well like Hezekiah. Mm. Don't you love his prayer when he does get round to it? Because mm. uh, he, he, he kind of pleads uh, the character of, of the That's Lord right. God. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and he, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherub, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. I mean, he's, when he does get round to it, he's quite good at it, actually. Oh, it's very good. <laughs> Well, he knows, yes, he knows what he's doing. And then he, and he says, look, they're saying you can't do it, you know, but you know, the, the, it's true, Lord, the Assyrian kings have wasted all these people and they're useless gods, but what about you? You're the real god. I, and he's good. He's appealing to the Lord's honour and the character and the power. It's good. Mm. And he gets an answer too. Mm. He get, oh, yeah, he gets an answer. What about that? This is the word the Lord has spoken against Sennacherib, king yeah. of Syria. What do you make of all that? What should I make of it? <laughs> I think that's a good bit, actually. I mean, what should one make of it except that the enemies of the Lord's people are the Lord's enemies. And, and he, he, he never lets us down. He never deserts us. He never, he never treats us as though we weren't his own. Mm. He's always on our side. That's amazing, that, isn't it? It is indeed. And I like the fact that he pokes fun back, really. He's yeah. like, oh, you say you've gone mountaineering in your chariot, mm. <laughs> verse 24, and, uh, all the, and you, you, by walking across in the Nile, you've made it dry. Yeah. And the Lord's like, don't be ridiculous. All this stuff's nonsense. And he kind of... I like the fact that he goes back at them with accusations and yeah. he pokes fun back at them. And mm. I don't know, it's... It's, it's, and, and then he says, look, he will not enter this city. You tr he's, they've trusted in him. Yeah, and he's like, I won't yeah. let you down. Yeah. And, uh, 
Yeah. I will defend this city. I will defend this city uh, and save it for my sake. There's huge irony, is there, in what mm. the Lord actually did? I mean, when Sennacherib went home with his tail between his legs, what happened to him? Yeah. He, was, he was assassinated by one of his own sons in the house of his own God. So it says <laughs> yeah. that in oh, chapter 37, yeah. verse 38. Yeah. And, and the angel of the Lord, that's where he's mentioned particularly yeah, in verse angel, 36. Yeah where 185,000 men of the Assyrian camp are afflicted with, prob I suppose, with some kind of uh, illness or affliction well, what, or whatever. Whatever. And uh, that's the end, because then Assyria breaks camp and withdraws. Mm. And that actually is the end of Sennacherib. I yes. love yeah. that. That's right. I, I like and it. His historically it was. It was. The Assyrian Empire took a number of years actually to disappear, but it started its decline yeah. there. When the angel of the Lord went forth, it never, never raised its head much again. And I love it because they go to bed, trust it. They say, "Okay, let's trust the Lord." They've prayed. They go to bed surrounded with impossible enemies. There's no hope in human strength. They wake up in the morning. It's all solved. <laughs> I love that they haven't done a thing. They just trusted in the angel of the Lord. They trusted in Christ. He went out and destroyed them all. That's a true, Brilliant. A true picture of salvation, that is. Mm. We haven't got long, Paul, but just give right. us a comment, maybe, on chapter 38 about Hezekiah's illness and recovery. Yes. I mean, there must be lessons here about life and death. Well, yeah, there are, because Hezekiah is up, he perhaps isn't ready to die. And so he, he, in right at this great moment in history, he suffers this fatal illness and he's about to die. And Isaiah's like, come on, get ready to die. Then Hezekiah prays. <laughs> That's what you call a bedside man. Well, he hasn't got a bedside man. <laughs> he's like, come on, get ready to die. And, that, and then he leaves and he's walking away. And the Lord's like, well, hang on. And then he sends him back. And he gives Hezekiah another 15 years of life. And you think, well, that's, that can only be wonderful. Is it, though, because Hezekiah doesn't necessarily... He says he's going to do really well with the remaining years of his life. But what he actually does is have the Babylonians come and visit, and he shows them everything, which, as Isaiah says, you've just created enormous trouble for later generations. Because the Babylonians have just got a full inventory of everything that's worth stealing mm. from Judah and Jerusalem. Right. And they come back, what, 100 years later, and with take the, it all. With the list in their hands. Yeah, they've got the list in their hands. <laughs> so in a way, did Hezek, what, maybe it would have been better for the nation if Hezekiah had just been ready to die then and I wonder if there's that there's that lovely verse Isaiah 57 the righteous perish no one takes it to heart and um, the righteous are taken away to be spurred from evil mm. those who walk uprightly enter into peace they find rest as they lie in oh, death yeah, yeah. and he's kind of really saying that yes the righteous die and we think oh that's terrible they've got but in a way, maybe the Lord knows what he's doing and he's actually taking away people so they don't suffer more or face evil or things like that. Right. I wonder if that's a helpful way to look back and say, was it best for Hezekiah? No, no, it wasn't actually. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, 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 and he, he, didn't really, he didn't really follow up his prayer. Mm -hmm. he, you know, he's, full of, he's yeah. full, of, full of remorse and gratitude and every other emotion about his own healing. But then when it comes to the second part of the Lord's promise, I will deliver this city, he doesn't trust him. Yeah, that's it. And, and really, I mean, there again, he's so like us. Mm -hmm. we, have such a, we have such a record personally as well as scripturally of the faithfulness of God, and yet we don't trust him. Mm. Mm. When the crisis comes. Exactly. Uh, and it, 
you know, dear old Hezekiah. He was a lovely lad. His, jo his job happened to be beyond him, but he was, he was a lovely guy. But, you know, when the temptation come, come, came to be proud and self-sufficient, he couldn't resist it. Mm. Yeah. With all of this um, confusion and these tremendous uh, events surrounding the nations that are to be, we then suddenly come to chapter 40, mm. different change. There's a change here. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And on we go, chapter 40 and 41. The contrast, actually, Alec, is so great that some have wondered whether a different prophet is now speaking. It's not as easy as that, actually. If you, if you want to say a different prophet because it's a different style, you, then you'd have to cut out chapter 35, for example, and say Isaiah couldn't have written that either. Mm -hmm. Because you, you get this glorious, yeah. lyrical, poetic prose all the way through, and marvelous, uplifting, as you might say, comforting salvation thoughts mm -hmm. all the way through. Mm -hmm. He's that sort of... Prophet, and if actually, if you read straight through from what we call 39 into what we call 40, as though there was no gap, it is most dramatic. No sooner has the great sin been committed, the unforgivable sin, I'm trusting myself, not, not the Lord. No sooner has the great sin been committed, than the Lord says, oh, do, do comfort them for me. <laughs> Their sin is going to be dealt with. It's all right. It's, it's just so... It's just so wonderfully marvellous. Very possibly, actually, chapter 40 is, and, and onwards, right to 55 anyway, is an indication of Isaiah's written style rather than his spoken style. Mm -hmm. Historically speaking, Hezekiah was followed by Manasseh. Yes. Uh, and tradition says that Isaiah was was martyred under Manasseh, whether that's true or not. It, Manasseh ran a police state. Isaiah goes into hiding. And like Paul in prison, he turns to writing instead of preaching. Wow. Powerful. It's possible, isn't it? it is mm. And it's just so lovely. And, and you know, Isaiah 40 gives yeah. that sense of a pondered written statement. Yeah, and but it's you can't you can't turn around and say that no. the same person can't have three styles. No. I, I I think actually Timothy Dudley Smith was three people. <laughs> yes. uh, the head writer. Well, Timothy is the letter writer because that's the way he signs his letters. And then you've got a choice: was 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 Dudley the hymn writer or the biographer? Yes, that's right. Different styles and the same person. Mm. That's very very salient indeed. But it's the Very same helpful. theology, isn't it, all the way through? And holiness. he has that massive cosmic view. And holiness. And, and holiness. And the holiness view, mm. yes. All the way through. It is, it is identical theology. Mm. And as you go on to chapter 41, it's the helper of Israel. It's so positive and helpful now, and, and, mm. and uplifting yes. and comforting. I, I think we've probably finished our time uh, in our study. We have got time, I think, just to look at, I mean, we ought to look at, Maybe a verse of scripture to learn by heart. Now, what about that? Yeah. Maybe you know it already. Uh, so, Isaiah 40, verse 31. Mm. I know it actually in the old King James Version. That's right. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And he goes on, 
They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And learn it by heart. And then ask yourself also, why does it not end with the great crescendo of, of, of flying at the end? <laughs> you think it, it, they walk. Oh, no, they won't walk. They'll, they'll run. Hey, yay, they're going to fly the other way around. Starts with flying, then goes down to, to running, right. then to walking. Because walking is more important in the end. Yeah. And Isaiah was able to walk through the lives of four kings and keep going. Somehow he was sustained. That is the art of sustaining your effectiveness in the long term. God bless you. And thank you for joining us in our study.